This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stoppage Time. I'm your host, Chris Basinger, and joining me today in the studio is Andy Healing. Andy, how are you? Doing good, Chris. Ready to talk some soccer? Ready for another week of Champions League coming up? Great to hear it. And of course, Harrison Schooler joins me. Harrison, how are you? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. And for the first time ever, special guest Riley Zepp joins us in the studio. Riley, how are you doing? I'm buzzing. Excellent. Uh, unfortunately, David couldn't make it today because he is at a Tottenham supporter support group uh, after the lost game against Arsenal in the North London Derby. We're going to go ahead and get started with that one. Arsenal 2, Tottenham 1. There was a red card. Um, Arsenal really got things going, but it was that Lamella Rabona goal that put Tottenham ahead first. Uh, Harrison, how insane was that shot? Uh, that's one of the best goals I've ever seen. I can't believe that Martin Tyler undersold it the way he did on Sky Sports. Not sure if anyone here has heard it or checked it out. It is unbelievable that he was just not that impressed by the goal, seemingly. But yeah, I mean, it was an interesting way to grab their goal, the, a game they really hadn't been a part of at that point. I mean, they were really largely ineffective. Kane didn't have his first touch in the box until the 80th minute. Yeah, and then later on we had Martin Odegaard, the Real Madrid loney scoring for Arsenal, just getting it to roll just past Lloris, uh, made it 1-1. And then later on, a Lacazette penalty that was supposedly a bit controversial if you were to listen to Twitter. But, Riley, I don't think it was a- any controversy there. No, I, I could see where they could – I could see their point of view. But for me, I mean, I'm a little biased. I am an Arsenal supporter. But I, I, I would call that pin. I would call that a pin 10 times out of 10. All day. Lacazette scored that. And then later on, Lamella got a red card because of some frustration, I would suppose. Uh, Andy, he had his hands up to the face. I'd say that the second yell was warranted. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there's an argument that, oh, he's just putting his arm up. He's trying to shield the defender off. But just where he had it, the way he swung it out, I mean, I think a ref's going to call that a penalty, uh, or not a penalty, but a red card or a yellow card at least uh, on the on the player. And, you know, Lamella was really reckless in that uh, span where he got those two yellow cards. And I think that really hurt them because he was one of the only attacking presence out there besides Harry Kane because Son got hurt. And then they made some substitutions and took Gareth Bale off. So that really honestly damaged their chances when they went down to 10 men. Yeah, I just thought that Tottenham really lacked any ambition on the ball. I don't think they really had a plan going forward. Uh, They were getting run. I mean, Arsenal was running riot down that left-hand side. Bale wasn't defending. Uh, Daugherty really had his hands full. Uh, I just don't think that... I don't think they had a plan on the ball at, at all. Naturally, they don't have a plan to press either. You can see that. It's not organized well enough. And I think they were looking to pick Arsenal off on the counterattack. And we all know that Arteta is damage control. I mean, he is, he is making sure every way possible that his team is not easily cut through. And that's why a lot of their goals are down to individual mistakes and whatnot because he is so well prepared for most situations. Teams just can't cut them apart, and he made sure Tottenham couldn't do that. Yeah, Spurs only had a .11 XG until the 89th minute uh, with Sanchez's chance that was cleared off the line by, I believe, Gabriel. Um, 
there were a couple late chances for Spurs, a couple free kicks that might have been uh, a bit scary to Arsenal supporters, Riley. Yeah, I uh, luckily my phone died uh, in the 80th minute, so I got to watch the highlights. If I would have watched that live, I I would have possibly had an aneurysm. But um, it was the whole game. I mean, we just we just looked so dominant, and we Gabriel, David Luiz, we had they had a uh, Harry Kane in their pocket. It was it was amazing. I love to see it. The match means that Tottenham ends the game week in eighth place with 45 points, and Arsenal uh, moves up to the top 10 with 41 points level with Aston Villa. Uh, moving on, we had another top four matchup of the week. Uh, Manchester United won, West Ham zero. Craig Dawson had an own goal. Um, West Ham had zero shots uh, on target in the game. Harrison, you think Jesse Lingard missing out on this match because he is, of course, on loan from United had a big, a big impact on how West Ham were able to perform in this game? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is unfortunate that a player of his talent wasn't able to play, but at the same time, I think that they went there just thinking, we'll sit back and we'll pick them off at some point. And, yeah, United have actually given up some goals uh, in situations like that before, but West Ham, again, another team with no ambition on the ball whatsoever, and I think that... They had no ideas going forward. They could really, they couldn't conjure up anything. They didn't want the ball. And United, they had the ball, and they're not as effective with the midfield pivot of McTominay and Fred naturally. But they, they did well, and you know, somehow managed to nick an own goal. Yeah, uh, Andy, do you think that West Ham are going to be able to bounce back from this result? They look pretty poor throughout the entire game, but they've been playing strongly for the past few months. Yeah, I think they've held it together. It's just like in this game, I, I think is an example of them just not being able to uh, get any chances created. And, you know, it was really tough. Like you said, they had uh, no shots on target. United really pressed them. I thought they def- uh, United defended well against the Hammers. And, you know, I, I think they'll find their scoring form again. But I think, you know, Lingard not starting would was a uh, huge damage. He brings in pace. He brings in a l- little bit more of a dangerous threat. And, you know, they could have – I thought, like, maybe starting Lanzini would have been a good move because maybe he brings in a little bit of something that Lingard would have. But, you know, I, I think West Ham, although they took a setback here, I think they'll find a way to start scoring goals again. But – We'll see. You know, obviously they're not going to be happy with this, but they still have a chance to still nick a top four spot. Now there are rumors floating around about a uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer contract extension. We've already heard news out of the United boardroom about the hiring of a director of football for the team, which was something that previous managers, such as Jose Mourinho, current Spurs manager, as we all know, um, was clamoring for. So. Harrison, how do you see this changing the dynamic of the team and maybe how transfers are conducted in the future? I think it gives it a bit more of a streamlined approach. They have a huge scouting board and lots of individuals with some say, and I think that just narrows this down. It gives you a bit more of a, like I said, streamlined approach, and you can get that balance of the manager, the technical director, which is now Darren Fletcher, and the director of football, John Murtaugh, it gives them a direct line to Ed Woodward, who ultimately is going to have the final say after he speaks with the Glazers. So, yeah, I think it just cuts down the amount of voices involved in processes. Hopefully we can 
watch United get some transfers done within reasonable time. Everything seems to take uh, about a month and a half every time they start up with anybody. But um, I, I would say that an extension for Ali is, is needed at the time. I know that a lot of people can't really point to, I'd say, uh, a chart saying the direction of the club is directly up, but it, it's gradually getting there. This has been a long process, and it's been ups and downs, but it's come it's come a very long way in a couple of years. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, United were at risk of dropping behind Leicester City uh, in that game, but stay second with 57 points, Leicester City in third with 56. Um, Leicester, of course, beat Sheffield United 5-0 uh, in a dramatic game, even without players such as James Madison and Harvey Barnes who are out due to injury. Uh, they were able to overcome the downtrodden Sheffield United. Of course, the news coming out of Sheffield this week is that Chris Wilder, Chris Wilder has been sacked by the club. Um, Sheffield United was his boyhood club. He managed to get them from League One to the Premier League in just three years. Um, do you, Andy, do you think that this was a, a bit of an extreme step? I know that they were having a very difficult season, but uh, it seemed like that if you're going to have someone as your manager that would potentially bring you back into the Premier League, this would be your guy. Yeah, I mean, he does have that experience, but I just think there's got to be a point where you have to look at the, his results and say, you know, it's, it's maybe time to move on and find a new guy. But, I mean, you know, there's a fair argument, like you said. he It was his uh, child, boyhood club, is you know, the team that he's been around for a while, and he brought them up and made them successful. But I think for a club like that, you know, I, I would maybe want to find a fresh face, somebody new that can bring in, uh, you know, ideas and, uh, you know, maybe bring in a new perspective and help them get back up next season. I mean, the tensions between the board and, and Wilder were high. They were really, it was a rough time. There was one moment where he said he just can't handle this anymore. Uh, he just doesn't want to manage another game. And it was back in January. He just had his breaking point. The board didn't want to spend... I believe the average wage in the Premier League is around 70000 a week, and Sheffield are paying half that to most of their players. So there wasn't just this, this step forward financially when they got to the league like a lot of teams naturally would have when they come into all that money. Sheffield United didn't make that step forward financially, and they didn't back him as much as they, he felt they should have, and that was just it. That was the breaking point. Yeah, and of course we have to talk about the victors of that game this week, Leicester City uh, winning 5-0. But Leicester have a tough three games coming up in all competitions. They play Manchester United in the FA Cup quarterfinals, and then in April they play against Manchester City and against West Ham United. Uh, Riley, they're currently third right now, but with these injuries and with this tough schedule ahead, do you think that they might be the team out of City, United, themselves, and Chelsea that might be the ones to drop out of this top four first? Uh, I'd say so, yeah. I mean, you got Liverpool. They might they might come back. You got Everton, who's going to make a push. And I don't, I don't think my team, I don't think Arsenal is going to make a push. But out of all of those, Chelsea's looking like they're going to come back. Man City's as dominant as ever. Man United. I, didn't they just guarantee top four? With the win? Uh, not quite. Not quite. Okay, well, I, I just don't – I could see them maybe dropping to fourth, but I could I could see Leicester having a full full meltdown soon. 
Moving on, Brighton 2, Southampton 1. Brighton finally making a valid attempt to save themselves from relegation. Of course, one of our favorite stats on the pod is that Brighton would be, I believe, in fifth place based on expected points. They've had a really unlucky season uh, so far. Goals from Lewis Duncan, uh, Trussard put them ahead of Southampton. Um, Andy, Southampton have only beaten two teams since January 4th, and those were um, Sheffield United and Liverpool. What's been going wrong for them since the turn of the new year? Well, it seems like their goal scoring obviously has really dropped off, and I'd say a lot of that is due to some injuries that they've had, but also Danny Ings has not been firing like he normally has. And I think, you know, even uh, guys like James Ward-Prowse have just become – uh, almost obsolete, and they. I think you know, they've had some sparks with uh, Minamino, I think, has been a good spark for them, and even Tella has provided them some chances, but against the big teams, they're just not getting it done, and um, you know, they were able to beat Sheffield a couple weeks ago, but they've just you know, they've really fallen off, and right now, if you look at the table, they're only six points from the bottom. Fulham are are uh, actually, excuse me, seven points. Fulham are seven points uh, from Southampton. So if things continue to go the way that they're going, I mean, who knows? Southampton could be heading for relegation. Yeah, I believe Southampton are also 16th in uh, the, the form table. So we'll have to see if they'll be able to bounce back. But then again, Brighton winning their first in the last five games. Uh, Harrison, do you think that this is a valid attempt to save themselves from relegation they're in the mixer with newcastle and burnley as potential teams that could drop down as fulham keeps rising out of the bottom three yeah i i was really impressed with everything that happened with brighton this week i think that they played their best way they could have that second goal was excellent that second goal was the ball moving slick quick and one touch passing well back trossard it was nice. I think if they get just a, if they can rattle off at least rattle off at least two to three more wins, they're going to be safe. Because I can see Fulham climbing. I just don't see, I don't see any way that Newcastle can consistently find results. I just don't see it. And I see, in the flashes of a team that we know, hugely underperforms their xG. You just you trust those flashes, those moments, those opportunities, those chances they create. You can see them making this push to stay out of the relegation fight, and you just don't see that with Newcastle. Uh, moving on, Everton 1, Burnley 2. Chris Wood opened the scoring with a great goal just inside the penalty area, places it just wide of Jordan Pickford, a, a powerful strike that just struck the, the corner of the net beautifully. And then the next goal, Dwight McNeil, sensational midfielder, of course, um, pro- perhaps the most creative player on that team. Uh, uh, no doubt. No, no doubt. No doubt. Most gifted midfielder on that team by some margin. He had a sensational curl into the top left corner of the net. Jordan Pickford, even with his acrobatic diving abilities, failed to come close to saving it. Um, Burnley scored two early goals. Um, within the first, I believe, 30 minutes of the game. Everton failed to create a lot of chances early on in that match. Andy, do you think the two early goals prevented Everton from getting any momentum in this game? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it hit them hard. They were pretty shocked, and especially for a team like Burnley that doesn't have as much offensive uh, fireworks as a lot of teams in the league. I think, you know, for them to get two good goals like that really hurt Everton. They were able to pull one back, but, you know, ultimately Burnley did what they always do, and they defended, and they held their own, held their shape, and, you know, Everton just didn't have a lot of chances. So, I mean, credit to Burnley for starting fast. Yeah, Everton's poor home record continues, and they just look like a team that lacks ideas when they have to have the majority of the possession. They're another team that likes to pick people off on the counterattack, and obviously Burnley's going to afford you as much possession as possible, and you know, a quick start like that is a punch in the jaw. Two goals to Burnley that early on is, is really tough, and especially when you don't have someone like James Rodriguez to carve some chances out for you. I think it is fair to say that Burnley could have gotten more goals in this game because they had a few really, really good shots and a potential penalty call um, in this match. So it could have been even more to put them in between um, them and Everton. But then also in this match, we had a Jordan Pickford got an injury on a dive. He attempted to save a ball and went off the, the post. As he landed, he kind of felt something in his leg and was out of the game. Uh, Harrison, how do you think that impacts Everton's season? Uh, I think it's huge. Um, Robert Olsen will come back. Obviously, we know that his house was broken into, so he was not able to be at the game this weekend. Um, but he'll come back, and that, he's a, a, a keeper of reasonable quality. He should be able to hold them. But I think the bigger subplot here is what goes on with England over the next few weeks. What's going to happen to that number one spot? Is Nick Pope going to get those gloves and not going to – is he going to give them back up? Um, I think this is a big moment for the Burnley keeper. Well, I believe McCarthy's been injured recently. He's been um, back and forth, so I would think that Nick Pope would be the uh, the player to come back in that situation, correct? I, I, th- I believe so. I believe so. I don't see why he wouldn't. Um, I don't see Dean Henderson taking a number one call up at this moment. No way. Yeah, and moving on to the game that happened today, Liverpool won, Wolves nil. I believe it was the first time that Liverpool had a lead in the first half in – Maybe the new year, I think. Uh, Diogo Jota, brilliant goal, just powered it through. Um, it was a really tight angle, but Rui Patricia got a hand on it, but it was just too powerful for him and kind of curled up the back of the net. Um, I thought that Adama Traore looked really, really good in this game. He was um, um, dribbling really well. He was using his body, of course, against players like Andy Robertson and Gina Wan Um it, it was a bit unfortunate that Wolves just couldn't get into better positions this game, Andy. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They created some chances. They had a few good uh, crosses in, especially late in the game. Fabio Silva had a chance that went off his shoulder. If he got gotten his head on that, I thought that was going to go in the back of the net. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Liverpool defended well. I thought one guy that was really uh, good was uh, Nat Phillips. He played really, really well today, and I thought he made some crucial stops in that game that uh, kept Wolves away from getting some big chances. Uh, so, you know, Liverpool grinded that one out, and I think uh, that's credit to them for, you know, taking this team that they've got, and, you know, they even got Diego Jada in on the scoring, and that's who they need. They, they need that guy to step up when Mane and Salah uh, maybe aren't finding the back of the net as often. Yeah, I think this can only build a little bit of confidence in the team at the moment. Wins can only do that for you. 
I just think that they looked vulnerable at times, and they're going to look vulnerable like they will the rest of the season just with uh, the, the shortcomings at center back at the moment because Wolves played really good stuff. They had really great opportunities. They used Adama Traore's physicality and his quickness and his dribbling ability to open up spaces. They attacked the center backs that they knew would be nervous in a one-on-one or a take-on or something like that. But uh, Liverpool got away with it against a team that really doesn't have someone there to take those chances, and that's why they desperately miss Raul Jimenez. And I think uh, we're all glad here that Rui Patricio is okay from all the reports after the game. Yeah, Rui Patricio was down for a long time after a collision uh, with Connor Cody um, on a offsides Mo Salah shot. Uh, Riley, I want to talk really quickly. Liverpool didn't change their lineup at all from the midweek game against RB Leipzig to this game against Wolves. Fabinho stayed in the midfield. Uh, do you think giving Fabinho time to get back into this team and allowing him to play with the same two center backs is going to uh, see Liverpool improve defensively? I think so, yes. I, I think uh, Liverpool is huge on momentum, and I think and in chemistry, and with two new center backs, I mean, it, it there's not much they I don't know how to say this. Hold on. It's just it's just huge for them to be healthy, have healthy center backs and I I really hope they build off this and they have a 3 week rest period moving on. I think they're going to I think they're going to do really big things. I really hope so because they are very fun to watch. Chris, do you favor them in most of their Champions League possibilities at the moment? Um at, at the moment, I am looking on the bright side. I do think that uh, if we look at Champions League teams that have the potential of going through real quick, um, Liverpool have already be- beaten one of the top few teams in the Bundesliga. Do I think that if Liverpool get matched up against Bayern, it's going to be an easy 1-2? Of course not. It's Bayern. They're the best team in the world at the moment. Uh, I think that would be one of the tough teams to play. PSG, of course, would be extremely difficult just given their offensive quality. Neymar might be back in time for that next round. Mbappe, of course, is going to be a challenge. Um, But then there are also teams like uh, potentially Atletico, which have been playing very, very well in La Liga, but players like Thiago were specifically bought to be able to break down those teams. So I think if Liverpool do get drawn against a side like that, we're going to see a different side of them that maybe Jurgen had been cooking up for the past few seasons. But the most realistic way that I see Jurgen, that I see Liverpool getting to perhaps the semifinals is if they're drawn against Porto or Dortmund. Uh, of course, the win for Liverpool means that they are currently sixth in the table. They are now only five points outside of top four. And with the loss of West Ham, it gets them just that much closer to getting back into the top four. Uh, moving on, we had Leeds nil, Chelsea nil. I joked during the game that I would much rather watch paint dry and then proceeded to watch paint dry. And it was more entertaining than this. Um, nothing really happened in the game too much. We did see Christian Pulisic start. Uh, and there has been some talk in the media recently about his situation at Chelsea Harrison. Yeah, the Athletics, Liam Twomey and Dominic Fifield have reported that he's not going anywhere and that Chelsea have big plans for the U.S. international. Uh, and the word that keeps being thrown around and was the constant theme to the article was patience. And that's what we all need to have, apparently, 
watching him grow and develop still. He's a bit of a young player, an impactful young player, but too cool. He knows what he has in him. He says that he's, he's in his plans. The board feel that he's in the plans of the club, and they know what they have. They're not looking to loan him. And as a United States supporter, I think that this is a troubling time for him, but he will be he will be back to his best. He's an extremely competitive individual. He holds himself to very high standards. And according to an inside source, he looks like he wants it just a little bit more than some of the other guys around him. Where where would he go if he did leave, though? What, what teams do you think are interested in? Naturally, in I think Bayern Munich would have to have a look because they had a long-standing interest with Dortmund. And he was only driven to Chelsea by a video from Maurizio Sarri, who sent him clips of how he expected him to play in his Chelsea team. And as we know, he didn't even get to see that out. Sarri took the job at Juventus. But I think if there were teams to look at him, it would be in, it would be Bayern Munich first on the list because they know what they wanted and they know what he is. I, I don't know if there's any rumors or anything like that, but would you think that Liverpool would possibly in, be interested with Klopp? This is something that has always been a rumor, but I don't necessarily think that Liverpool would be able to... They don't want to pay that much money for that position at the moment because they definitely need a striker so i don't see him going anywhere in the premier league honestly i couldn't see him i i also i don't i don't think chelsea would sell him to anyone in the premier league either yeah yeah i wouldn't want to see a reverse fernando torres situation <laughs> right here uh yeah no i i agree with harrison i think it would be tough for liverpool to justify spending that much money on a player that they already have uh the best player in the premier league playing that position already in mo salah and they have uh, Harvey Elliott, who will be coming through. He's on loan to Blackburn right now, tearing things up in the championship. He's still 17, 18 years old, um, and Mo Salah still has two to three years on his contract, um, or two years on his contract. I thought Sadio Mane looked back to his best today, don't you? I completely agree with that. He had a few great chances in the first half, one where he almost rounded Rui Patricio. He just couldn't get the last touch on it um, to give him enough space to take that shot, and then... Oh, my gosh, that header. He just put it wide. Just put it wide. But I thought he was really good on the ball, too. He was able to uh, really show his dribbling. Um, of course, him and Mosaw, there was a, uh, an exorbitant amount of fouls in this game from, from both sides. Uh, but I thought Sadio Mane was back to some of his better performances. We've seen a drop-off, and I believe that's partially due to the midfield situation and not being able to win the ball as high up the field because these – these three have been really good on the break, and we see that going back to uh, the way that you're going to originally played with this team with the Gagan press. But I, I think Sadio Mane coming back into form would be huge, especially for Liverpool's run in Europe. But moving on, the 2020-2021 future Premier League champions, Manchester City, finally took it through Craven Cottage, Andy. Yes, they did. They finally took it through Craven Cottage. And look, this is the last time I'm going to say it because I know everyone in this room is going to have an aneurysm if I say it again. But the Premier League title, it always goes through Craven Cottage. And today it has gone through, and now City have won. And honestly, this game, I thought Fulham did a really good job in the first half. They really held City at bay. Uh, they, you know, They defended well. But City was able to get a uh, goal right at halftime, and I thought that was big, you know, to get uh, you know a, go a goal going into the the break. And of course, 
It was John Stones. John Stones. The guy, the defender, he's always finding a way to score. He and Ruben Diaz have more goals right now uh, together than they've given up as a defender partnership. They have now six goals to the four goals that they have given up as a combo on the field. And that just let that sink in. That's pretty crazy. Uh, and then also in this game, uh, so Fulham had three shots, no on, no, none on target, and Ederson didn't make a single save in the game. Didn't make a single save. And Fulham had 46% possession. I thought City dominated uh, in the second half. They just held, held their own, got two more goals. And also Sergio Aguero, thank goodness he's back. I know it was just a penalty, but, hey, we got to get his confidence going. Uh, no better way than to let him take it from uh, the penalty spot and score. So a uh, good win for City, and they seem to be rolling again. Now, Pep said after the game that uh, he was able to rotate six or seven players per game to get a fresh squad in there every week. you think he's going to do that for the rest of the season? And how do you see that playing out in Champions League and the other two competitions that City are in? Yeah, I do worry a little bit that him switching things around could maybe throw off some chemistry. But I do trust that, you know, he's able to come up with a plan for every game. And, you know, I guess coming into it, I did kind of question why isn't someone like Foden or Riyad Mahrez starting or Sterling. Now, Sterling did pick up a knock in that game. He's fit uh, for tomorrow's game against Bruce and Mucha and Gladbach. But still, you know, I kind of wonder, like, why is a guy maybe like Foden not playing on the wing or Mahrez? Um, but, you know, I think with the switching, um, it does help as far as depth and as far as keeping people healthy. But... I do, you know, question sometimes maybe the tactical reasons for the changing. Um, I know Pep, you know, does do a lot of prep, and we know that maybe he sometimes over preps. But, you know, I think as long as they continue to trust what they're doing, trust their process, I think they'll be fine. But, you know, maybe it is a little bit of a cautious, uh, at least from my opinion, uh, going into big games, especially in the Champions League. Yeah, you're not the only person asking why Phil Foden isn't starting every single week. Um, I think naturally, being Guardiola, it's just a little nerves about Foden being a little tactically naive at times, maybe not pressing at the right moments, not finding the right positions to take up. But yeah, there's no way you're the only person asking that question. Uh, there were two other games in the Premier League this week. Uh, Newcastle won, Aston Villa won. Two late goals from Clark, which was an own goal on the 86th, and Lascelles in the 94th meant that the team shared the points. And then Crystal Palace won West Brom nil. Uh, Milivojevic, there we go. Penalty uh, won the game for Palace, 1 nil. Nothing else happened in that match. Don't watch the highlights. Uh, also, in the midweek, we had Champions League action. We're going to start off with the most Roller coaster of a game. Juventus 3, Porto 2. Porto go through 4-4 on aggregate. Harrison, what were your emotional and heart rate levels like during this match? Uh, they were pretty high. I couldn't really believe what I was watching, and that was the most horrendous wall I've ever seen put together by Juve. And that was just unbelievable. I couldn't, I couldn't understand what was going on. Even Rabio just bagging that other goal just to give us that extra little boost at the end. Maybe a little belief to see if Juve could drag themselves out of this, 
huge hole that they dug themselves. But no, I think that was one of the most entertaining two-leg ties I've seen in some time. And I, hats off to Pepe. What a veteran performance. Yeah, Juventus had 31 shots in this game. And between Morata, Ronaldo, uh, Rabiot coming in, I know Rabiot scored the late header, but was it just Juventus misfiring or was it Porto? Quality no, of shot. Quality of shot. Quality of shot was the biggest thing. Chiesa was so dangerous all game long, trying to set up everyone or score it on his own. Morata couldn't take his chances. Ronaldo. He, he had one of his worst performances in recent Champions League history. He was boxed the whole game. They had d- defenders draped on him. He was going to find it very difficult, even with his jumping ability to find space. And when you're relying on Rabio to just kindly knock the ball about a yard in front of him and then drill it 50 yards into the upper deck, it's not really, gonna, it's not really doing you any good. It's not really doing you any good. And they just uh, no one else could take their chance. And you can't rely on a kid like Chiesa, as talented as he is, what a player he is. You just can't rely on him to drag you out like this. Yeah, and then in an almost equally entertaining tie, Dortmund 2, Sevilla 2 in the second leg. Dortmund finished 5-4 to four on aggregate. Erling Holland scored a brace in the game. Sevilla came back, scored two late, trying to uh, just get over the hump. Of course, Sevilla legendary for their... Europa League um, success, but not so much in the Champions League, Andy. Yeah, it was unfortunate. I think I think Dortmund just they know how to outscore opponents, especially in games like that. Uh, they can't do it against Bayern Munich, apparently, but they still, you know, it, it seems like they love to play a track race. You know, it's it's like how can I outrun this team uh, in a in a two legged tie? And I think that's really what they did. I mean, I think Dortmund and Sevilla are pretty even in quality, but I just think with Holland and that team, they're just running just a little bit faster than Sevilla. Uh, and, you know, Holland, you have to laugh at his little impression that he uh, did at the keeper and then had two Sevilla players running after him after that penalty ki- kick. I thought it was pretty entertaining. I know he kind of was, like, taunting the keeper, which is not funny, but... Oh, it was absolutely... Well, the keeper did it to him. The yeah, keeper did yeah, it to him. Exactly. But... <laughs> I think this goes back to just a general mindset of Dortmund. They have no idea what to do when they're winning. They're a deer in headlights when they go up two goals. It's terrifying. They looked absolutely mortified when they let that first goal in. It just looked like, oh, no, this is going to happen all over again. Why can we not stop this? I don't know what it is. Against Bayern Munich, it's set in stone. They just look at them and they know that they're they're superior. And that's really what you can call it at this moment because they just – not only will they dominate you on the field, they're dominating your mind, your mentality. Everything is worry. You're worrying about them and not playing your own game. And this was what happened with Sevilla. This was a resilient Lopetegui Sevilla side, I have to be honest. They were in a really bad patch of form. They hadn't dragged but one win of their last seven. And then they come out there. They go gung-ho at it. They had their cap. Well, they didn't. I don't, I don't believe Lucas Ocampos is their captain, but he is a very spirited player. He's a great attacker, and they had him. And having him in a match like this was was huge for them. And I, I think it's a big credit to them because they, they grabbed their win in their derby against Real Betis this weekend, and they're turning their season around. And this is really just a gut-check reminder for Dortmund that, yeah, you have loads of talent. You can score all of these goals, but if you don't know how to manage a game, Life's going to be very difficult for you. I, I was going to say something. Um, I am, I'm 
I'm very I'm looking forward to Dortmund's run. I actually think they might fall backwards into getting like into the semis. I really do. Do do Just, you think this can be one of those cases where uh, Dortmund are currently fifth in the Bundesliga right now, but do you think it could be one of those where they might struggle in the Bundesliga but might make an incredible run in the Champions League, similar to what Tottenham did uh, I, a couple years ago? I think if they don't draw Bayern, if they don't draw Bayern, I think Holland just by himself will pull them to at least the semis. I, I really think that. He's not a human being. He is insane. And I saw on Twitter somewhere that he has a cousin that plays for the team that he played for in Norway who has better stats than he did. So I there's just something in the water in Norway or something. There, <laughs> there is insane. And I, I actually think Dortmund might make a run. Well, Odegaard had just been named the captain of Norway, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Norway for that. Euros. Big things happening in Scandinavia. Uh, PSG won, Barcelona won. We all thought this tie was just about over after the first leg. The first leg, of course, was the 4-1 PSG win. Mbappe got the penalty. Lionel Messi followed up with a brilliant strike, but just couldn't put away the penalty that they had at the end of the first half, Andy. Yeah, it was unfortunate. I think you know. I think a lot of people wanted to see the uh, incredible comeback of Barcelona again against PSG, but they just don't have. They didn't have the team to fight PSG in this one, especially being down like they were, and Mbappe just being a free scorer like he is. You know, I, I think. It was just it was too much, and PSG are showing how good they are, and Mbappe himself is just showing how good of a player he is right now. Yeah, it was a tough loss for Barcelona, but they bounced back today with a couple of absolutely stellar strikes from Griezmann and Messi, and in a brilliant Ray Hudson call to go with the Messi goal. So in- incredible! Un- I un- couldn't stop cracking up when I was listening to that the first time. Unpopular opinion: I I actually don't I don't really like him that much. I don't. I think Ray Hudson. Yeah. Ah. Uh, I, I, I think he is Martin a certain Tyler's, taste. I have heard that from other fans that I, they don't particularly enjoy his commentary. I think Martin Tyler is probably the best uh, commenter of all time. And maybe, maybe, maybe him and Peter Drury are my favorites. I, I don't know. I think well, Tids, Tilsley's got to be up there. Yeah, Tilsley is very good. Tilsley is very good. I'm pretty biased uh, with the Martin Tyler call because one of my favorite calls of all time is when uh, Arshavin scored that goal against oh, Barcelona. No, yeah, League. absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. I just I watch that video probably once a week. <laughs> just it, it brings me back. <laughs> well, we got uh, Aguero over yeah, here. That, too, that, so. that's I think that's probably one of the best calls in sports, like uh, any oh, sport. Absolutely, it's up there with the kick six. Just it's with the context, with yeah. the context behind just it. That just that being the end of the season, the final shot and extra time. It was two goals and extra time too. Absolutely insane. I do want to mention though that this is the first time since the 2004-2005 Champions League that both Ronaldo and Messi have been out before the quarterfinals. And also the finals being played in Istanbul this year. So make of that what you will. Anyway, that was bounced around before both of them scored at the weekend, but uh, let's continue on. And also Steven Gerrard doesn't play for Liverpool anymore. Well, Hendo. 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 He'll be back. He'll be back. Um, In our last... Champions League match of the week, Liverpool 2, RB Leipzig 0. It was a performance where Liverpool perhaps might have gotten a bit more in the first half. Liverpool ended with two goals um, from a Mo Salah shot and a Sadio Mane shot in the 70th and 74th minutes. But um, RB Leipzig just couldn't carry their form from the Bundesliga into this match. Uh, Liverpool, of course, have more goals in the Puskas Arena 
in uh, Hungary than they do at Anfield in 2021. So I'm going to petition to make that our new home stadium for the rest of the season. Uh, and then on to U.S. men's national team watch. We're going to be having another one of these next week um, during the international break. But Harrison has a quick update for us right now. So it is official that Yunus Musa has declared for the United States. He has chosen us over England, Ghana, and Italy. And the Valencia midfielder is going to be one for the future. He's supposedly going to play in central midfield. He plays wide right at Valencia at the moment, but Bearhalter has said that he wants to find him a spot in a midfield three. So I'm not going to bounce around a ton of tactical ideas, but I know the one question is going to be, well, well how is he going to fit with McKinney and Adams and Gio Reyna? The idea in that situation might be that we put Gio Reyna on the right wing to come inside on his left foot. He likes to do that now. He plays in an advanced role with Dortmund most of the time, not necessarily as a 10, although he can play that. But, yep, some more positive news. Another couple names to watch, and I don't have a timeline. This is just watch. Alex Mighton from Nottingham Forest, a, a winger with English-American duality, and Fuller and Balligan the U23 captain for Arsenal, who is currently in a dispute over a contract and is more than likely leaving the club. He has represented the States at youth level and, from all indications, is planning to do so at the senior level. Rock, flag, and eagle. All right, so moving on to our predictions for this week. Of course, uh, we will not be predicting Premier League games because... It is not a full match week, and there are also FA Cup games this weekend as we are transitioning into the March international break. But the results from last week, Andy finishes with three points from the Manchester City win and the West Ham loss. David finishes with four points from the Crystal Palace win and the Aston Villa draw. I finished the week with six points with the Leicester win and the Manchester City win, and Harrison also finishes with six points with the Leicester win and the Crystal Palace win, which means that currently Andy and David are tied for third with 11 points. Harrison has 14, and I have 21. So instead of predicting Premier League games this week, we will be predicting FA Cup matches. And the first one that we have is championship Bournemouth versus struggling Southampton. Andy, who you got? I'm going to go with Bournemouth. Mm. I just think that Southampton, the way they're going, I just don't think... I think they'll get up for a game like this, but I think Bournemouth has it in them. I think they will be the surprise team to make it through. Yeah, Bournemouth are struggling a bit. They are seventh in the in the championship, but so are Southampton. Harrison, who are you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking that Southampton will probably prevail, barring uh, Hasenhutl basically making nine subs or something like that, because they are seemingly pretty down bad in the in the Premier League at the moment with their recent record. But if he goes with the majority of Premier League eleven players, I have a feeling they can roll over a team that's very much focused on finding a playoff spot in the championship. All right, Riley, break the tie. Who do you think? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to roll with Southampton. I uh I think that maybe they can get a you know, it's a lesser competition, not not obviously Bournemouth not being the Premier League. Maybe they can just 
restart their season, I guess, and push for not getting relegated. And they'll probably start with Bournemouth. I really do think that. Yeah, as much as I want to pick the Cherries, I think I'm going to get a, have to go with Southampton. I think uh, Takumi Minamino is going to get a hat trick, of course, uh, so. uh, and, and put the Saints on top. Uh, in the next match, we have Everton hosting Manchester City. Andy, I know your answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Who do you think? I mean, why deny us? Why deny us? Uh, City, of course. Yeah, I mean, if, if anyone's going to get the title back from Arsenal, it might as well be the team who had it before then. Uh, Harrison, who do you think? Uh, probably Manchester City. Yep, they're a good team. Riley? City by a lot. Yeah, I'm going to shake things up a little bit. This might be controversial. I'm going to pick City. Uh, moving <laughs> on, Chelsea host... Uh, uh, let's just let's just say we all think Chelsea's going to be Chelsea. Do we even need to mention no, the no, other team? No. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a hint. They do not have Chris Wilder as their manager. Wow! Nice. That's, Early. We can, o- <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah, y- y- y'all can figure that out. Um, and then in our final game of the FA Cup, we have and probably the the, the tightest game out of all of these. Leicester City versus Manchester United. I think the last time these two teams faced it was two two. And the next time will be in um, in May, near the end of the season. Uh, so, Andy, who do you think goes through? I'm gonna go with Manchester United. Uh, I I I think Leicester will play them a tough one. It's on the road, but I think United's got enough quality to win. Yeah. Uh, if United go through, do you think City draw them? Absolutely. Why not? Play him in another semifinal. We'll beat him. We shall see. Harrison, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think this is a really tough game. I think United will probably prevail, but uh, it's going to be a really tight game. I don't know how long James Madison is out for Leicester at the moment, but they do seem in in a game against a top-quality opposition like United, these margins become so much finer, and players like that are just so much more of a necessity. That guy that will break that line, find that little pocket of space. And in a game like this, this is going to really hurt to not have him. I just think I think United ov- overall have more quality. We could potentially see a 30-minute cameo from Paul Pogba. He's, he's a push for um, being fit for the Milan game, so I believe more than likely he would find some minutes against Leicester City. So just to add that quality, even just for half an hour, could potentially put them over the edge in what might be a nil-nil game in the 60th minute. Yeah, Riley, what are you thinking? I, I I think as of right now, I'm not really sure. I'm I'm kind of leaning towards Leicester. I don't know why. I I really don't know. I think by the time the lineups come out, that'll really I'll really know. But as of right now, I'm gonna go with Leicester, and I think Vardy might score a world class goal. Yeah, I I just think given the injuries that Leicester are facing at the moment, I know that United are dealing with the the Paul Pogba injury among others, but uh, I think. The quality on the field right there, I think Manchester United goes through. Um, But that does it for our show this week. There will be an international break next week, so we'll have a few interesting segments that we usually won't do. Uh, But that does it for our show, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.